0: Welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined, and dedicated to silencing the chatter about what women should and shouldn't be doing as they age. Here to bring you stories about women in their 70s, 80s, and 90s, women who are leading inspiring lives that make a difference to themselves and others, are Katherine Marino and Gail Zelitsky. Hi, I'm Gail. Hello, and I'm Katherine. We're delighted to welcome you to today's episode of Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. Our signature is featuring women in their 70s, 80s, and 90s who lead lives that illustrate inspiring ways to learn, contribute, and make a difference as we age. The 30-minute conversation with our guest will focus on several themes that we've agreed upon in advance.
1: Today, we are excited to shine the spotlight on Dr. Pamela Cully McCullough who is a lifelong learner, educator, and psychologist. Her life has unfolded in unpredictable fashion. As a teacher, therapist, and healer, Pam spent the early part of her career working with women. She did her doctoral studies on women's aging issues, specifically on inventing ourselves as we get older. A profound and meaningful experience with her deceased father led her to become an author at age 60. Pam, who is 72 years old, is now an avocado farmer in San Diego and spends her time helping others connect with their loved ones in spirit to heal, to be at peace. I'm grateful to Christine Closer, Get your book done for introducing us. Pam, welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. Thank you for having me, Gail and Catherine. You're very welcome. And we'd like to start the conversation by you telling us a little bit about how you transformed from psychology to a healer.
2: I had didn't fully realize that I was a healer in the way that I was, but being a counselor and a psychologist for a number of years... Um, feedback from clients over time gave me that impression that I really did know a fair amount about healing on a deeper level. I didn't really think much about it, but I think it was just an unfolding that was happening over the years. And as much as I loved working as a psychologist in university settings and then in my own private practice, I realized that My calling was really all along was telling me that I was going to be a healer in a much different way than I had been trained to be. Uh, Being trained as a counseling psychologist um, certainly has healing elements in it, but this was becoming um, a much deeper experience uh, for me.
1: Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit more in depth about what it actually means to be a healer. You know, you talked about what it was like while you were uh, a counselor to your patients. How, what is the difference for you? And, and, and can you explain that a little bit?
2: Well, it's, it's a good question. I don't, I don't know if I'm going to uh, be able to hit the mark on this, but my experience was the more I worked as a therapist, the more intuitive I became at feeling and, and hearing things that were more from the invisible realm and, and knowing things more intuitively about my clients. So it was being able to take that intuition, that information from my intuition and turn it into something that could be um, a, a healing tool for my clients. Mm-hmm. Um, not just a cognitive and behavioral approach to what their concerns were, but something much deeper, something that resonated deep within them that they weren't speaking to. I seemed to be able to pick up that deeper resonance within them and then be able to match it with something that would help them in healing.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. So did you continue in your career as a psychologist using your uh, intuition and and did, did it get deeper as you continued to work? It did,
2: um, especially if I was working with clients for a long period of time in my private practice. Um, there was an attunement there that was amazing really and how we could really co-create together a healing experience Mm. so one of the the modalities i used a lot was um, guided meditations and um, using you know sort of a some people would call it hypnosis but i really would call it more guided meditation and and using experiences um, where i would help my clients tap into their deeper, more unconscious resources mm-hmm. in order to, to find their own way of healing. And I was realizing in doing that that I was really not the one who would know what exactly would help them heal. It was really helping them find that within themselves. And once they did, then the healing was transformational, really.
1: Mm-hmm. It's amazing mm-hmm. yes are you still a practicing psychologist
2: no um, I, I, I ended up getting a message we haven't talked about this yet but um, my dad and I um, have an afterlife connection and he wanted to write about what we talked about and I kept it quite private for many years because um, this was 25 years ago after he passed, and I got the message one day in when I was practicing, and I was very happy with my work and with my clients and all and I got the message from him that it was going to be time for me to stop working in this way, and me in my fashion. <laughs> I said I need to have, you know, a real clear reason why I need to stop. Because I was in my, I was probably sixty-three at the time, and I was ready to um, continue working. I was happy, so why wouldn't I continue doing what I loved doing? And um, I didn't say anything to anyone. I didn't say anything to my husband Ken. Um, after I got that message from my dad, because I couldn't understand it. Like, why would I stop now doing something that I really love doing? And it took a few weeks um, where he just kept showing me what we were going to be doing together, um, that we were going to be writing something and doing something for the, the larger population. And I came home and one night and did tell Ken that this was going on. I said, I don't understand it yet. But I was just starting to, to trust more that even though I couldn't see a bigger plan, there was a bigger plan for me. So Ken and I talked about it and I said, well, I'm going to keep thinking about it. I, I don't know if I would close my practice because that's quite a process to do, yes. ethically to do. And it's a, about a four to six month process to inform clients and find other therapists for them and so on Um, but it was very clear to me because i started to lose my passion for what i was doing and i was just shocked Hmm. that this was happening and and the and the more i resisted it in my mind the more i lost passion for what i was doing i thought oh my goodness but i finally accepted it so what it meant my dad was really clear with me that i needed to stop what i was doing and i and i was very fortunate that i could do that uh, from a financial point of view i could i I thought i would be working well into my 70s in private practice but that wasn't to be and so i i did the, went through the process of closing my practice over a six month period, and I um, started writing our story full time.
0: Pam, did I'm just so curious about when you said that you have ha, have an afterlife connection with your father, your deceased father. Did you believe in afterlife connections before uh, this type of connection with him? Is this part of your kind of belief system, or was this just something that happened?
2: It's both, Catherine. I, I had always had an interest in reading people's um, stories, like near-death experiences mm-hmm. and, and what people had written about after having that type of experience. And, and I was really more of a just curious about it. I didn't know if it was true or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and my dad and I... Uh, he had cancer the last four years of his life, um, but during that four-year period, we talked quite a bit about that. And wondering if what happens, you know, once the body dies and the spirit moves on, you know, what what is that about, and can that manifest like I've been reading about from various people over the years. And both of us were equally curious about it and open about it, but. I really, you know, being pretty pragmatic about things, I really thought it would, it probably wasn't accurate, you know, but I would stay open to it. So, what happened is about, oh, it was probably a few weeks before he passed, he was in hospice care in his home, and I was taking care of him that night, and I was reading a meditation to myself um while he was in and out of a coma and he woke up just and in a very lucid tone said to me honey i really love that meditation you're reading that one about letting go mm-hmm. <laughs> i was like uh, i don't know how you know that because i was reading it to me to myself mm-hmm. and we both looked at each other and then knew something was changing that somehow we were communicating differently. Now we were communicating like from heart to heart and more telepathically. And uh, I, we were just shocked both of us because I read a little bit more of that meditation. He said, that's the one, that's the one. I really appreciate you reading that. It's really helpful. And as soon as that happened, there was this energy that contained, that just went around us. I don't know how to describe it at the time. I just call it an otherworldly energy. Was came around us and told us, you know, sort of telepathically, that we would have an afterlife connection together, that we were meant to continue our conversations together. Um, well, in that moment, it was really quite an extraordinary experience Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but that that night after i drove home i thought whoa this is very weird Mm -hmm. Um, i really thought i was tired and exhausted and i was from working full-time during the day and then going up and taking care of him at night so i didn't tell anyone that that had happened But I happened to have a therapist at the time, my own personal therapist, who was very tuned into these kinds of things. And I happened to tell him what happened. And he knew it was very real. And he was able to put it in a language I could understand. Because up until then, I was somebody who was a very um, practical, pragmatic um, thinker and doer. I mean, I... I wasn't as one of my friends said. I was never woo woo, in, in anything that I did. I was interested in in other dimensions of experiences, but I I really didn't call them in, and I, I and I really didn't even see myself being part of that. But that's how that happened, Catherine. And and I really had no idea how it would manifest itself after he passed. In the whole first year, after he had died, I really didn't give it much thought. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was interesting, and I was curious about it, but I really had as as anyone who's said goodbye to a loved one I mean there's so much to do in that first year, and um, practically and also you know emotionally, there was just a lot of grief um, for that whole first year but but he um, he came through and I asked him one day in my mind's eye you know is this really happening? Do we really have this kind of connection? And he verified that we did in a way that he knew I would understand. And he left a a very large feather at the bottom of our driveway after I got back from a morning walk. And it hadn't been there before I left for my walk. And I knew that that was his signal that yes, indeed, we do have this. Oh, I love this. Yes. <laughs> I know. it's. It was so unbelievable to me that this happened, that I only had like four or five people in my life that I even shared this mm-hmm. with. Because it was probably, as I said earlier, it was about 25 years ago, and people were not talking about this kind of thing. And here I am, a licensed psychologist, and I'm having this experience, and I'm thinking, I better not say anything to my colleagues. (laughs) What are they going to think that I'm hearing things and seeing things, you know, in a different
1: dimension? And, you know, it just wasn't what we thought of as being normal. Did you continue to have conversations with your father, but not about the book as time went on? Well, the, the conversation about the book was, I kind of dropped it because I thought,
2: I, I'm not a writer like that. I have written a number of academic papers, but I, I'm not a writer. And I thought, what in the world are we going to do with this? And so I sort of dropped it. But I continued writing and communicating with him I would go outside into my avocado grove and sit under a favorite tree several times a week, and I was able to connect with him and communicate with him and and have a dialogue and be able to write it at the same time. And, I mean, these were things that I didn't know that I could do, and it was just as easy as it is for us to be talking today. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I had many journals uh, of things that we had talked about, and we had continued our own healing journey. The whole first year that we were um, communicating was all about healing things that, because my dad had been an alcoholic for a number of years, luckily went into recovery the last 10 years of his life, but there were still things that we had not been able to heal when he was here. So, we did a lot of healing work that whole first years. But I continued to to communicate with him, and I really wasn't taking the book idea that seriously. I was writing about different things that might be in the book, but it wasn't until I went to consult with um, a metaphysical advisor of mine that I would see periodically who said to me before I even sat down in her office, your dad is really clear that he wants to write this book with you. He wants you to get focused on this. (laughs) I was like, oh, really? Oh, my goodness. I was just undone by it, really, that, that she was so clear with me. And at the same time, unbeknownst to, to my advisor, I went to my therapist and we were talking about a number of things, one of which was my dad. And he said, I keep getting the message that he wants to write this book with you. I'm like what? Oh my gosh. Um, so really I, I had heard his message early on when when it was time for me to to stop working and close my practice, but I was the reluctant traveler when it came to doing this because there were just so many practical things that I didn't know anything about, one of which was, how do you write a book? Pam, what is the book? Um, The book is, the title is The Promise of Soul Love, Unexpected Gifts from Here and Beyond.
0: And so is it, the, is it the, uh, the experience that you and your father have had connecting in this, uh, this other dimension?
2: That's part of it. Okay. Um, when he and I, when I finally accepted this assignment, and we started communicating about the things he wanted to share and the things I wanted to share, um, I wanted to know about his background. Because in my family, there, there was a lot of secret. Um, secrets about my dad's background and my mother's background, too. And so I didn't know much about my relatives. I didn't know, I hardly knew any of my cousins until much later in my life. So it just wasn't a subject that was talked about. And being a psychologist, you know, I'm always like this detective wanting to figure out you know, what happened first and, and second and so on. And I wanted to know where the history of alcoholism was in our family, for example. And I, I learned a lot in that process. And I wanted to connect the past with the present and understand my dad in a deeper way. So I was really looking at part of the story being a backstory about who he was growing up I wanted to create a cohesive narrative about my dad's life, and before I came into their lives as their daughter, so my dad had a number of things he wanted to share with everybody about the importance of of healing in your life, and seeing every setback as only as a challenge. Yes, but a challenge that you will grow from. So together we created so the outline of the story, and so the first part, the first few chapters of this book, are the backstory of my dad's life, um, and then towards the end, I include a number of conversations that he and I had in our first years of communicating once he died, and then uh, sharing with the reader how this is possible for them as well uh, to be open to hearing from their loved ones in spirit so it covers quite a range of uh life but the middle part of the of the book is about the many years of living in my family with my dad being an alcoholic and what i did to survive and and eventually learn from and this was one of the gifts um, that i received um, not thinking it would ever be a gift to be in a family where where alcoholism is is so difficult to live with. However, it was a big gift for me. And um, I went on to teach a lot about it and to support a lot of my clients and who came from families of addiction. Um, so it was a gift to me in that way that I could go on and share my story as a way to inspire them to heal from theirs and um, and so, there are a number of things in the book that are um, difficult areas trauma from my dad's family and growing up. And then, and the gift of that, what he now says to me were the gifts that he learned in, in having alcoholic parents and having uh, physical abuse, and all and the things he learned from that, and, and how he grew through it so it's a very um, it's a transformational type of story mm-hmm. uh, about how we both healed from things that were difficult and how we continue to heal now with him in spirit and me here
1: perhaps he knew that in order for you to heal completely this was something that had to happen
2: it did, <laughs> it did. I was probably the most surprised about that and, and one of the things that have come, has come out of the writing of this just in the last six months um, is realizing the message from my dad is, we have been waiting for you to get to this place uh, in your own evolution. Our family has been waiting for you for generations mm-hmm. oh. to be who you are because you're here to heal us you know, seven generations into the past and seven generations into the future. Mm. And I remember the day I was writing and that message came through. I wasn't writing about that, but it came through and I was just absolutely stunned. And it brought tears to my eyes because I thought, oh, that's what this has been about. (laughs) (laughs) This whole thing. And the other piece of this um, is the first few chapters of my book, I just didn't never felt very, uh, I just didn't like how how they flowed. And i had gotten feedback from people in my writer's group that there was something about those first few chapters, which were about my dad's childhood growing up, that there was something about it that wasn't quite right and we couldn't ever figure out what it was. And I remember going home from, driving home from my writer's group that day when my group was trying to help me figure out how to make this flow a little bit more and, and go into the rest of the chapters that followed, I remember thinking about how was I going to do that? I didn't know how to do that. When I got this huge amount of um, information, I would call it, um, driving home, and I, I got a huge amount of sorrow that just came through my body and I started sobbing on the way home and I knew that it wasn't anything that was mine. And it was the strangest feeling and yet at the same time it was as though I knew it. I knew what it was. And I asked who this was and, it's, and it was my grandparents. It was my dad's parents who were talking to me and said, we need to tell our story. We want you to tell our story. And I said, you've got to wait until I get home (laughs) off the freeway and get home where I can um, be quiet so I can write down what you're telling me, which is what I did. And I began to hear their stories. Um, Both of them were alcoholics, very difficult lifetimes together. And um, I had known my grandmother only a couple of times that I met her, but I didn't know my grandfather at all. So I began to put their voices into the beginning chapters. Mm. And that's what made the difference in the story. So I was not going to lead this with, I wasn't going to tell the reader in the beginning that I have an afterlife connection with my dad. I was going to wait for it to, to share that at the end. And that kept being the wrong approach. I kept getting messages like, you've got to start with it. You have to lead with it. Um, This is how you're going to tell the story of people in your family who were in dire need of healing Mm -hmm. uh, and who are now healing as a result of your writing and sharing their voices with other people.
1: Do Do you think if you had not been a psychologist, you would have been able to capture all this in this way? I think my career
2: as a psychologist made a big difference. Yeah. I was—I've always—I was always interested in in people and behavior, but understanding it and, and just being so, un, so invested in understanding how we heal from things. Um, I don't think I would have been ready to do this without my
1: career that came before right right just tell us a little bit about christine's role in this with you christine closer of get your book done sure
2: i'm happy to um, christine has been a huge part of the last five years of my life um, i was writing this story and but i there was still something i knew i didn't know and And I was feeling like I was at an impasse, that I I needed to learn more about writing and marketing and publishing and all of that. I had a friend, colleague of mine that uh, had worked with me at the University of San Diego. And she eventually went off on her own, and she became um, a person who taught nurse educators how to get published. Mm. With um, not only get their dissertations done, but to also get published once they were hired at various universities, because that was going to mean tenure for them, and so she was talking with me one time about Christine.
1: Uh-huh.
2: she said, "You know you really need to go online and look and look at what she does because some of her programs might be something you'd be interested in and so I was not used to the virtual world at all at that point and i did go online and 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 listen to a series of interviews she had done with people who she interviewed who were talking about writing your story publishing your story and marketing your story and it was a wealth of information at the time and i thought wow this is amazing but i didn't think anything further and my friend, Kathy, said, well, are you going to sign up for one of her programs? And I said, well, I don't know. I don't, I'm, I'm not at all comfortable in this virtual world of doing things online. And I was just used to, you know, seeing people face to face. And um, I got an email from Christine and a number of people had at, at that time and said, you know, join my program uh, right a short, write a, a short story about something that's been transformational to you. Well, I was already, you know, writing my book, and and um, I thought about it for a while, and I talked with Ken about it, and I said, I don't know, I've never done anything like this. it's It would be totally, uh, you know, her on the East Coast and me on the West Coast, and I, I don't know about this, and I didn't want to interrupt the flow of my writing of, of my book, and But it it just kept happening. Like, I think you need to do this. And I finally, um, one night, I think it was the last night to sign up for this, writing a short version of a story that was going to be in one of her books that she was publishing once a year called Pebbles in the Pond. Um, I heard from my mother. And (laughs) I... My mom had been gone a very long time, and every once in a while, I would hear things from her, but just not anything huge. And, but my mom weighed in, and she said, honey, you have to do this. And I said, but mom, I don't know Christine. I don't know anybody in this group. Um, I don't even know how to do the assignment. And she said, it won't make any difference. You just have to trust this exactly what you need to do. So I did sign up to be uh, in the Get Your Book Done program and also to write this short version of my story, of my transformational story. And then that was published a year later. Well, that changed my life completely. Um, Probably six months later, I flew from San Diego, where I live, back to Baltimore, um, where Christine was... Having a retreat for all of us. I think there were about 25 of us that contributed to this anthology of all of us writing our transformational stories. And that was the first time I met everybody. And I'm I'm on the plane and I'm thinking, Pam, what are you doing? You don't even know anybody. (laughs) And you're flying, you know, 3,000 miles to meet these people that you've never met. And I walked into the room and meeting everybody and it was exactly where I needed to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just so many like-minded people. And and Christine has been a part of my life ever since. Um, I could never be where I am right now with my manuscript and I'm in uh, finishing up with editing right now, but I couldn't be where I am right now. Not just from the, from the pragmatic point of view, but from, ability to be able to bring forth my story and and for her to, to to give me all kinds of support for having an afterlife connection with my dad and and making it sound just like it's an everyday occurrence
0: so so pam i just have to ask one question about mm-hmm. the avocado grove uh-huh. are you an avocado farmer
2: we um, ken and i are growers and it's a part-time job um, we have 10 acres of avocado trees. We probably have about 900 at this point. And so it's a small business. Um, But because water is such a big issue in San Diego County, and we have issues with drought, you don't quit your day job. Uh (laughs) (laughs) But it brings our, our whole neighborhood raises avocados. Uh And we, we all live in an area in the, in the, San Diego County that is still a bit agricultural and which we love so it gives all of us in our community this wonderful um, rural experience Um, it's very peaceful and tranquil walking through these trees and and being in this setting so it is a business and and we do Break even, and and sometimes we make a little bit of a profit if we get enough rain. But um it has, it is a business, and it and it is something that we really enjoy doing. But it was never a full time thing. great right. thank you.
0: <laughs> yes. As the daughter of farmers, I just had to ask.
2: <laughs> oh, oh, I love that, Catherine.
1: That's
2: great. Yeah, soda, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yes.
2: Uh, yeah, well, it you know then you know a fair amount about farmers and and growers are are not that different from farmers. You know, we're pretty much independent, uh, self-sufficient, do things our own way kind of
1: people. <laughs> I'm familiar. <laughs> well, Pam, it's been an absolute delight talking with you today, and and we wish you lots of good luck with your book. I I know it's going to do well, and. You're you're an example of how people can transition from where they are to another place in in life. And I think in that way, it's it's really very inspirational. So thank you for being with us today.
2: Thank you, Gail, and thank you, Catherine. Mm -hmm. I appreciate the opportunity.
0: Thank you. And listeners, we want to hear from you. Please connect with us on Facebook at Women Over 70, ask questions, start or add to the conversations, suggest topics you'd like to hear more about. I invite your family, friends, colleagues to join in. We welcome conversations across the generations. You can access our weekly Wednesday podcast at womenover70.com. And if you know a woman over 70 who would be a great guest, please recommend her to us on our website and thanks to the School of Continuing and Professional Studies at DePaul University for use of their recording space. So see you next week on Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. Thank you for listening to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. If you like what you've heard today, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. In what ways are you shattering the myth that women over 70 are no longer relevant or visible? How are you celebrating aging? Join with us. Make your voice heard. Find us at WomenOver70.com